1: And now a reading from the Gospel of John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he said, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Michael. And good morning. Good shepherd. Happy Pentecost Sunday. It's, it's good to be with you, even under these conditions. I'm grateful for your witness and for all my friends who are there. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Before we begin the sermon, let's take a moment to gather ourselves, collect ourselves, and center our hearts for what God is saying. Father, we want to hear your word. We want it to be life-giving, and we want it to be life-giving in a way that makes us life-giving people, life-giving in the same way that you are. So help us to hear and to respond as people of your word we pray this in Christ's name amen i think the point of a sermon the purpose of a sermon is to grapple with a biblical text whatever text is given to us until it yields blessing until it speaks our name so to speak until it manifests gospel and sometimes that can take years of struggle but what we do on sunday is we we compress that struggle into a moment the sermon Today's reading, as we've heard, is the story of Jesus appearing to his disciples and breathing on them, imparting the Holy Spirit to them. And of course, we never come to the text alone, and we never come to the text without experience. We bring our experience of the world with us. And today, like you, I come to a reading about Jesus breathing on disciples and I cannot help but think the ways in which that stands in su- such sharp contradiction to what happened with George Floyd, to his murder, to his murder as he's crying out, I can't breathe, over and over and over again. And like you, I can't think about him saying that without thinking about the fact that those are Eric Garner's words. And I can't think about the fact that those are Eric Garner's words without thinking about the fact that Eric Garner's name reminds me of Margaret Garner, who was an escaped slave in the years before the Civil War, 1856. She and her husband and her children escape, and when they're captured again, rather than, than letting them be taken back into slavery, she killed one of her children and tried to kill the others and herself. And all of that, of course. brings to my awareness, once again, something that I should never forget, which is that our lives, my life, is lived with this background, this overshadow of the horror of racism and violence and slavery and Jim Crow and, and everything that goes with the history of American racism and all of the abuses that have, again, come to our attention, been forced into our awareness by George Floyd's murder, which of course comes on the heels of the murder of Almond Arbery and countless other stories. How then are we to deal with the, the contradiction between this moment in which Jesus breathes Holy Spirit, gives holy breath, and this murder of this man who is fighting for breath and can't find it and is kept from it? I don't think there are any easy answers, and whatever I'm going to say today, I don't mean it in that way. It, there, there is nothing to say in some sense, and yet part of the task given to us in worship is to bring that contradiction and to ask God to speak in the midst of it, to bring the contradiction between His Word and what is happening in our world, and hold them together prayerfully. So, in just a few moments, let me let me share what is stirring in me as I think about what is happening in the world, what has been happening in our world, and how this act of Jesus speaks to the way we should live in the midst of all of it. First, Jesus in in the text, Jesus appears in the locked room. He doesn't come through the door, he doesn't knock on the door, he appears in the locked room. And I think at the heart of the gospel is the truth That God comes to us even when we're not seeking him. God finds us even when we're fleeing from him. God, without ever violating us, without ever in any way um, overtaking us, he comes in. He appears without breaking in to our lives. And this is what makes God, God. It's what makes the gospel, gospel that he is found by those who do not seek him, that he is good to us irrespective of the ways that we're living and acting. He he takes the initiative. He comes to us. We don't earn his attention. We don't earn his favor. We don't earn his love. He comes to us in our locked rooms. And he comes and he speaks the word peace. Jesus appears and his word, his first word, is peace. And this we see happening over and over and over again in scripture where God appears and the word is, do not be afraid. The word is, be at peace. And again, I think that's the heart of the gospel, that this is a God who seeks us out, even while we're hiding. And the first word he speaks to us, not the only word, but the first word, is be at peace. Know that you're loved. Know that you are held and cared for. And precisely in that moment of speaking peace and giving the peace that only he can give, he also shows them his hands and his side. And this too, I think, is at the heart of the gospel, that the wounded, suffering, broken are allowed to speak and allowed to speak first. I think this is, this is crucial to what it means to be the church, that not only do we speak up for the suffering, and not only do we speak on their behalf, and not only do we speak to them, but we listen to them. We let the suffering speak. But we not only let them speak, we learn, we are taught by the Spirit to recognize in their voice the voice of Jesus, just as we are required and taught, shown how to recognize their voices in His voice, their sufferings in His suffering, so that when He appears in the locked room and shows his hands inside, he is showing himself in identification with all who are suffering. And when we make room for the suffering to speak, we are making room for Jesus to speak. I think there's a lot that I could say, probably should try to say about that. But let me, let me focus specifically on one point, and That is the issue of the anger and the grief that fuels the anger of those who suffer acutely and i mean i think this is true for all of us in various ways if we suffer deeply then that eventually yields to grief and that grief in some ways breaks forth into anger and when that happens we need to realize that that anger is also the voice of jesus anger and that when he is angry when he's cleansing the temple when he's condemning those for their condemning others for their hypocrisy he his anger right is our anger too Just as our anger is his. And I think this is absolutely essential that we understand that anger is holy because anger is human and anger has been lived humanly and divinely in Jesus. Now, there are ways we don't want to be angry, but but leave that aside for now. Our anger is his anger and his anger is ours. And the anger of those who are responding to racism and oppression and abuse and brutality, we need to hear Jesus' voice in that anger. And and part of what it means to be his sheep who know his voice is to be able to recognize God's anger in the cries of his children as they are abused. And it it is essential that we learn to do that and, and relearn. Jesus appears, he speaks the word of peace, he shows them his hands and his side, identifying with the wounded and the, the broken. But fascinatingly, in the gospel, he never refers to his wounds or his scars. He refers only to his hands and his side. And I think, I think this is important. He doesn't show his wounds. He doesn't show his scars. He shows his hands and his side. And I think this is a testament to something only God could do. Like We know what it is to be wounded. We know what it is to have a kind of healing that leaves us scarred. But what Jesus lives and offers to us is the promise that we will be able to live not only through our wounding, but also through our scarring to something beyond that, something that's truly holistic, truly healing in the fullest sense, without erasing what has happened to us, without negating what we've suffered or in some way blinding us to it or turning our attention away from it. He will heal us of it. And not us only, of course, but everyone. That's, again, at the heart of the gospel. And then after he has shown his hands in his side, he breathes on them and imparts the Holy Spirit. This, I think, is quite obviously him sharing God's own creativity with the disciples. And there are ways in which That is not enough for us. That's not what we want. I mean, what we want is for God to make things right. I mean, the the cry at the heart of the New Testament, the prayer at the heart of the New Testament is, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we want God to make it right. Just like the cry of the prophets in the Old Testament at its heart is, God, how long before you make it right? Still, what God does give us is his own creativity. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the brokenness of the world, while we are waiting for the world to be set right, while we're waiting for God to come and and make everything right, we have his creativity in us, which is his way of entrusting us to participate with him in resisting the evil that's in the world, in establishing the kingdom of God in the world. It's, It's a way of insisting that we are responsible, not that he's demanding us to respond, but that he's making it possible for us to respond. That by entrusting us with responsibility, he creates in us the possibility of being responsible. And I think that's, again, at the heart of the gospel. Then, finally, after he has breathed the divine creativity into them, he gives them a second word, and this is the word of mission. He presses them into responsibility. But this this is where the story slows down and, and seems to break because the disciples don't immediately live into that they don't they stay locked up they stay housed in that that divine creativity in them remains locked and it doesn't break forth until the day of pentecost and on the day of pentecost it finally does arise out of them the spirit kind of forces this release in which that creativity that had been locked up in them, hidden away as they were hiding, suddenly floods forth into the world. And it floods forth in a very particular way. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes, the apostles, the disciples, their community, they're filled with the Spirit of God. But this is not some kind of religious experience, some kind of private mystical encounter. It's a very public event. I mean, the Spirit presses them out of the upper room into the temple courts where everyone who's gathered worshiping suddenly hears them speaking in tongues, suddenly hears them giving voice to God in languages from people all over the world, from from all the peoples of the world, according to Acts. And that moment in the public square, suddenly Peter realizes that he is in the same public center of attention in which Jesus died, and that he is now responsible to stand up and speak to that. And he does. And he speaks a word that is truthful. It's, it's a word of judgment, but it's a word that opens out on forgiveness. And 3,000 people, we're told, are brought to life, which is very intentional on Luke's part to draw our attention to that number. Because in the Old Testament, after the Spirit is given at Sinai, after the law is given, the, the children of Israel fail to respond to it rightly. And like, like us, they, they neglect what God has given them and they build the golden calf. And in response to that, there is this judgment in which the priests are required to kill 3,000 of these rebels, these, these people who are unfaithful. And that story is meant to trouble us. And Acts is meant to draw our attention to the fact that in this moment of the spirits breaking forth, When Peter stands up as the priest of God, he stands up not with a sword, but with a word. And not to bring judgment only, but to bring the kind of judgment, the kind of truth-telling that opens out on peacemaking and justice and forgiveness and reconciliation and life. And 3,000 people are brought to that life. And that's where I want to leave you today, with that sense of calling. I want to, to, to say to you and to myself, God's creativity has been sown into us. He has breathed into us his life, but not for some private mystical intimacy with him, not so that we can have a spiritual life, but to push us out into the public, to, to put us in the center where evils are happening, where people like George Floyd and George Floyd himself are murdered, and abused, and mistreated. And God is pushing us into that space. He's entrusted us with his creativity. He's empowered us to be responsible, and now we need to be responsible. We need to step into that moment. And in whatever way that that creativity in us calls us to do, we need to begin to do what can be done to bring this world into alignment with what God wants for this world, to care for people in ways that God wants them to be cared for, to to bring about the life that he wants them to know. And so on Pentecost, we should celebrate that work of the Spirit and allow the Spirit to push us out into that moment. To Let this be a moment of birth, a moment of rebirth, a moment of rediscovering, our calling, and the creativity God has given us so that in whatever way we're called to do it, whether it's in writing music or poetry, whether it's in dance or architecture, whether it's in teaching, whether it's in counseling, whatever whatever your calling is, whatever the creativity of God in you brings you to do, do that in a way that steps into the moment of public responsibility, allows the suffering to speak, champions their cause, brings God's kingdom to bear in the world. That's what it means to be people of Pentecost. Let's pray. God, I pray that we hear your word again so that it's life-giving and hear it in such a way that we not only receive your life, but it floods out of us and we become life-giving people. And Lord, for those who've who've yet to begin to live that creativity, I pray that today it breaks out of them. And those who've already been living it, I pray it continues to flood. And those who once did and now have lost touch with it, that they rediscover it. Let us be people of the Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, GoodShepherdNewYork.com. Thank you for listening.